Hello, I'm Rob Johnson. Welcome to episode 14 of A Kilo of String, my podcast series about what life is really like in Greece, at least from the point of view of one British expat, me. Well, I haven't been struck down since recording Unlucky for some episode 13, but there has been a longer gap than I'd intended before recording this one. My excuse this time is that we went back to England to say hello to the first grandchild, who was born a week earlier than expected, so it was a case of suddenly downing tools or microphones and getting on the first available flight. Except we didn't. Fly, that is, because I don't. Well, not very often, anyway. It's not that I'm scared the plane is suddenly going to plummet to the ground for no apparent reason. I mean, I know all the stuff about how flying is supposed to be the safest form of transport and that you're more likely to be eaten by a pterodactyl than die in a plane crash. It's just that I hate the idea of being locked inside a metal tube for hours without any means of escape. At least on a train, there's an emergency communication cord you can pull when you've decided you had enough and want to get off. So what if there's a hefty fine to be paid for the privilege? Many years ago, I had the opportunity to visit some friends in Russia, and flying seemed to be the only logical way to get there. So I went to see my doctor to ask if there was anything he could prescribe, something along the lines of a long-acting horse tranquilizer. But when I told him about my terror of flying, he said, Oh yes, I know, I'm exactly the same. Then he went on to tell me how his worst ever moment on a plane was when he had to go to the toilet, and as he sat there he looked down at the floor between his feet and thought, God, all that's between me and the ground is 30,000 feet of fresh air and this piece of metal. He wrote me a prescription for beta blockers, which didn't seem to have any effect at all, so I never did get to Russia. One of the very few times I have been on a big iron bird in sky in recent years was when Penny and I first had the idea of moving to Greece. Not unnaturally, we thought it would be a good idea to pop over for a fortnight's holiday and do some exploring before we committed ourselves. But that's when I had to confess to Penny that I hadn't flown in over twenty years and, to put it mildly, wasn't overly keen to repeat the experience. Well, why don't we do a short flight somewhere else first, said Penny. Ireland, maybe, you know, so you can get used to the idea again. It seemed like a good plan at the time, but the proof of the pudding was in the sheer terror I experienced during even that short hop across the Irish Sea. What I hadn't taken into account is that the shorter the flight is, the smaller the plane, and, almost ironically, every slight gust of wind and mechanical clunk is amplified several times over. Somewhat foolishly in hindsight, we'd also chosen to sit as close to the middle of the plane as possible, which unfortunately turned out to be directly above the landing gear. When the wheels were retracted soon after takeoff, this particular clunk came from directly under my seat and felt like the whole plane was about to split in two. And to be perfectly honest, Penny hadn't been much help either. I'll be right next to you the whole time, she'd said when she'd first persuaded me to fly to Ireland, and after all I am a fully qualified psychological therapist. This had certainly been reassuring until the moment we'd boarded the plane and sat on the runway waiting for the inevitable roar of the engines which would announce our imminent and wholly unnatural departure from terra firma. 
My knuckles were already ivory white from gripping the armrests of my aisle seat, and I stared directly ahead, desperately trying to imagine I was on a train. Penny was next to me in the window seat, gazing at the outside world and taking not the slightest notice of my rapidly mounting anxiety. Um, Penny, I said, through teeth clenched as tight as whatever animal it is that you have to break their jaws to make them let go when they bite you. I'm really struggling with this. There was no response, so I slowly pivoted my head towards her and placed my hand on her arm. Are you listening to me? I said I'm really struggling here. It was at this point that she turned to face me and removed one of her earplugs. Sorry, what did you say? And I always thought that one of the most important qualities in a psychological therapist was the ability to listen. We did eventually make it safely back to planet Earth, and a couple of weeks later we were boarding the plane to Greece. During the intervening period, I'd read almost everything there was to read on the subject of how to avoid completely freaking out on aeroplanes, and one tip I picked up was that you should tell one of the stewards that you're a nervous flyer as soon as you board. So that's what I did. Not that it seemed to make the slightest difference, though. I didn't notice any of the cabin crew keeping a particularly careful eye on me or coming to offer me soothing words of reassurance every few minutes. In fact, the only difference it seemed to make was when we landed and I was hurrying towards the exit door. The steward I'd spoken to when I'd first got on the plane gave me a beaming smile and said, You made it, then? That was the last time I went anywhere by plane, and as I said earlier, our recent trip back to the UK was carried out entirely without the aid of wings, although the combination of buses, trains and ferries made for what might be called an interesting adventure. But that's another story, and I've digressed for long enough already. So, what's been happening in Greece lately? Probably the biggest news in the last couple of months is that the leader of the neo-Nazi Crisi Avgi party, Golden Dawn in English, was arrested back in September along with five of his MPs and two dozen party members. This followed the tragically fatal stabbing of Greek anti-fascist rapper Pavlos Fisas, and they've been charged with a variety of offences not least of which is belonging to a criminal organisation, but it remains to be seen whether the charges will actually stick. Not unconnected is another investigation into how far Golden Dawn has infiltrated the Greek armed forces. There was certainly evidence of their involvement in a recent call for what amounted to a military coup by a group of army special reservists when they demanded that the present government should step down and be replaced by an interim government under the guarantee of the armed forces. They invited all Greek citizens to join them in their cause and meet outside the Parliament building on the 28th of September. But the meeting never took place because the police banned it, and the fearless leaders of the heroic coup d'etat said, Uh, uh, OK then, and went on their way. The sudden crackdown on Golden Dawn was certainly a surprise given that their members have been allowed to get away with, quite literally, murder, attempted murder and violent assaults in the past, mainly due to the collusion of sections of the Greek police from the lowest to the highest ranks. But everyone in Greece is used to surprises these days, although most are much less welcome than the Golden Dawn purge. More often than not, these nasty surprises come in the form of the latest government announcement about taxes. 
One of the most insidious is the tax people have to pay on what's called imputed income. What this boils down to is that the government guesses what you earn based on such things as the size of your house and your car. So, for instance, if your home is up to 60 square metres, you're assumed to earn €2,400 a year. And if you've got a 1,200cc car, that's another €4,000 a year. They also reckon that everyone must earn 3000 a year just to survive, 5500 for couples. So that's nearly 10000 a year in imputed income for a single person with a small home and a car which they might only use for emergencies. Subtract the five grand tax threshold and he or she will have to pay 22% tax on €4,400. That's almost €1,000. Fair enough if you've actually earned the kind of money the state guesses you have, but there's an awful lot of unemployed people in Greece now whose income is nowhere near what's imputed. But apparently that's just tough. They'll have to pay the tax anyway, but where they'll find the money is another matter altogether. If you also happen to own a small boat, then that's another 6,000 in imputed income, or an extra 1,320 euros in tax that you'll have to pay. Here's what happened recently when a Greek tax inspector called someone in to go over their tax return. You do realise you could be fined for failing to declare your ownership of a boat, but it's my kid's inflatable dinghy. It's bright yellow and got pictures of Mickey Mouse all over it. Does it float? Of course it floats. It wouldn't be much use. Then it's a boat, which means you have an extra imputed income of €6,000 a year. For a kid's toy? Next thing you'll be charging me for is inflatable dolphin. It seems you haven't declared that either. Oh, for... The government's justification for taxing people on imputed income is that it's a way of tackling tax evasion. Well, it's certainly something Greece needs to get on top of, but it's hardly the fairest way of going about it. I suspect it's yet another case of the state taking the easiest option, since guessing what people earn is much easier than trying to keep tabs on what people actually earn and all the bothersome paperwork that goes with it. Meanwhile, there are still more than 2,000 names on the Lagarde list of wealthy Greeks with huge sums in Swiss bank accounts who've still not been investigated for tax evasion three years after the government was given the list. To be fair, though, the state has found a number of ways to reduce its expenditure, which do at least have some basis in logic. One of these is to drastically reduce the pensions paid to unmarried daughters of dead civil servants and military personnel. There are about 35,000 of them, and some have been getting as much as €1,000 a month just because they're not married and their dads happen to be working for the civil service or the military when they died. In one case, a woman has been getting a monthly pension of €318 ever since her army officer father died in 1945. I'm sure there are plenty of people who'd be glad to forego married bliss for a quarter of a million euros. And here's another big money saver. Until recently, civil servants were given an extra six days leave a year on top of their annual holiday entitlement if they happened to use a computer at work for more than five hours a day. Well, of course, you'd need the extra rest after you'd been playing Grand Theft Auto all that time. But this perk has now been axed, and according to the Greek reform minister, the hours saved would be the equivalent of 5,000 additional employees. 
There doesn't seem to have been any logical reason for this extra holiday entitlement, and even less for another civil service concession which has also been given the chop. Up until recently, a civil servant was allowed to donate blood twice a year, and each time would be given another three days' leave. My experience of giving blood in the UK was a ten-minute sit-down with a cup of tea and a biscuit and then off back to work. But here in Greece, a civil servant could get an extra twelve days' holiday a year just for working with a computer and parting with a pint of blood every six months. Right, that's about it for this episode. But before I go, I'd just like to give a quick mention for my new comedy thriller, Lifting the Lid. It's now available, very cheaply, in all e-book formats, so not only from Amazon, and there's also a proper paperback version coming out in the next few weeks. Modesty forbids me to say that it's been getting some great reviews, and all the details are on my website. By the way, if you happen to check out the book on iTunes and Sony, for instance, you'll see that I've also been credited with having written Executing Your Business Transformation How to Engage Sweeping Change Without Killing Yourself or Your Business and Outnumbered, Outgunned, Undeterred 20 Battles Against All Odds I'd like to make it clear that I haven't written either of these books which were in fact penned by two other Robert Johnsons one of whom is described by Sony as a former officer in the British Army with operational experience, who is lecturer in the history of war at Oxford University. His previous books include Outnumbered, Outgunned, Outdeterred, and How to Win on the Battlefield. Definitely not me. Right, that's the commercial over. So all that remains is for me to say many thanks for listening, and until next time, cheers. Yasas <laughs> Genastikala. <laughs> <laughs>